Up World. Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week. All three segments are questions submitted by you, the listener. If you want to get involved, here's how you do it you just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can either just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it or wait for Monday mornings when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or you're someone who doesn't tweet, you can also get involved by emailing the show at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Send me an email, I'll get you in the show. Simple as that. That's the two ways to get involved. Like I said, we do this each week. Regular season, hiatus season, off season, Mailbag Monday exists. I record it usually on Mondays. Uh, this one's going to come out on Tuesday, at least here in the United States. I'm not messing with the international dateline. If you listen to this at some other point, it's still Mailbag Monday. Without further ado, let's get into it. The first question comes from Cannon from Gmail, who asks, What is your fix for this team after watching these Orlando campus games? Who stays? Who goes? Anyone think you think they should really push for. Well, Cannon, instead of answering that, I'm going to use this as the thesis for the rest of the show because that is what all of your fellow listeners were asking. How do we fix this team? Who do they target? What do you do? So, Cannon, you're not getting a specific answer, but the remaining 30 minutes of this program are all going to be answering the question you posed here. Next question comes from Hamilton from Gmail who says, Will we trade anyone in the off season. That's our first collective pronoun of the show. We're getting it in early in Hamilton. I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. The Trailblazers do not make a trade this offseason. While that seems relatively unlikely from where we sit now, I think the team is kind of locked in in terms of their top 11 or 12 dudes for next season. And right now, as I sit here today at the very end of August, the final hours of August... I'm going to say no, they don't make a trade, um, but I'll probably be wrong about that, so stick with me. This next one comes from Austin Tyler, at AustinNew21 on Twitter, who asks, After yet another disappointing first-round exit, I'd say it's safe to say these Blazers simply don't have enough to compete with the best in the league. They feel so close, though. Should an overhaul be considered, Damon Nurk in, everyone else expendable? Should it be considered? I, I kind of think, yes, like you should consider the overhaul. But it kind of depends on what overhaul means. Typically, when you overhaul, tear down a roster to its studs, you stay, you get pretty young and bad. It's hard to do what OKC has done and a couple times sort of quickly pivot the roster and remain particularly competitive. That is not an easy thing to do, particularly when you take Nurk off the table, perhaps the Blazers' most tradable asset that they've got on the whole damn roster. So while I think they should consider an overhaul, and I do believe everyone on the roster should be available for a trade, does not name Damian Lillard the right price should you should you should be willing to move off from anyone. I don't think it's I don't think it's very likely, but you said should they consider it? That's what your question asks. Heck yeah, they should consider it. Absolutely, that should be on the table. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura, at AdamNaka28 on Twitter, who says, haven't looked at the salaries or anything, 
but Lowry Markkinen for Zach Collins and Anthony Simons. We've gotten to the point in the offseason, we've gotten to the point of this episode where you all are shooting me trades, making me play Trade Machine without even going to Trade Machine yourselves. I love you, dear listeners. I love you, dear Adam. Yeah, I would do that trade. Zach Collins and Simons for Lowry Markkinen. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Give it to me. I think Lowry Markkinen's better than Zach Collins. And if the price uh, that you have to pay for that is also sacrificing Anthony Simons' potential, right now I'm I'm cashing that in. I think I, I'm a fan of Markkinen's game. He regressed a little bit in year three. But he's gonna, he's on the same timeline of someone you have to pay as Zach Collins. And if you have to choose who to pay next summer, I'd much rather pay Lowry than Zach. All right, next question comes from Cody Workla at C Workla on Twitter who says, Collins and Simons for Karis Levert. Now, Cody mentions that he was worried that he was going to get hit with the Bishop Bullwinkle hell nah. And I'm not going to hit you with that. I'm, I would crush that trade in a second. Collins and Simons for, for Karis Levert. Why would the Nets... Why would the Nets do that? Why would the Nets, a championship-level team, want Zach Collins, who kind of duplicates what they already have in Jarrett Allen and DeAndre Jordan, and Anthony Simons, who's maybe not like not yet ready to be a big-time contributor? I don't. I no. I think who's hitting you with the with the Bishop Bullwinkle is Sean Marks over there in the Brooklyn front office. Next question comes from Paul at Bishop one four one five or fourteen fifteen, if you do if you prefer it that way, Bishop, who asks. This is a bad year for free agents, or so I've been told, but we have some cap space. For kicks, what is your best hypothetical Kawhi kind of trade that you can think of that would be beneficial for us? So is a Kawhi kind of trade, is it a trade where you trade for Kawhi Leonard, or is it a similar to what Toronto did where you cash in like a cornerstone a la DeMar DeRozan for a disgruntled superstar in another place? If that's the case... CJ, Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., a first-round pick and a lottery-protected future first-round pick that conveys into two second-round picks for Ben Simmons. You'd have to wait to the new league year to make that work, and you'd probably also, the Philly would also probably have to include Mike Scott to make the money work in the new league year, but there you go. That's your Kawhi Leonard-style godfather deal that I just cooked up for you. Next question comes from Tanner Russ, at Tanner Russ on Twitter, who says, what would Portland have to give up to couple the Damon C.J. backcourt with, like, Aaron Gordon or someone similar? A lot of people love Aaron Gordon. Skozers from Gmail asks, looking forward to the offseason and next year. Is this the year we finally cash in our young player chips to go grab Aaron Gordon, finally, or a legit 3-4? It's, it's always Aaron Gordon or someone who is Aaron Gordon. Seems to be the trade everyone wants to cook up. To answer your questions, though, um, Tanner first, I think you would have to give something like Ant, Gary Trent Jr., Trevor Ariza, and a and a draft pick. Um, Aaron Gordon's pretty good. He's on a good deal. You would need real value, and the number 16 pick in the draft probably isn't enough value for Orlando that fancies itself a playoff-level team going forward. I'm not even sure that Gary Ant, Trevor, and a first gets it done, but I think that's something something along those lines. And if you think that's too much, then get those Aaron Gordon sugar plums and fairies out of your head. To answer Skozer's question, is this year that they finally cash in their chips? No, I don't think that's how the Blazers think. Uh, Skozer's goes on to ask, is Ant on the table? I can't help but think this has to be the offseason. We finally see Neil pull the trigger. Hard disagree. 
Strong, strong disagree on that. My read on the Blazers is that they see this as a year that was lost to injuries and that they still view this team as a top team in the West, a top three or four team in the West when fully healthy. I don't think they view this as this season where they have to cash it in and chase it down and not waste Dame's prime. I think they think they've built a really, really, really good roster and that if they only didn't get hurt, that they'd be really good. I strong disagree that this is the year he pulls the trigger. Next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who says, I've heard some talks of Embiid being available. What are your thoughts on a Nurk and CJ for Embiid and Thibault trade? I think that fixes a lot of our issues. I like that deal in theory. Um, I think you lose a little bit of overall offense. I think the upgrade from Embiid to Nurk or from Nurk to Embiid is significant enough that that, that will help. Um, I think adding Matisse Thibel on the wing as a really versatile defender really helps some of the Blazers' issues. I worry about the Blazers' individual offense, but they'll have to find that from somewhere else, and sometimes you have to take a big swing. Um, I'm not sure this pushes the Blazers over the top, but I, I think that, in theory, I think that trade gets you in the right direction. And as far as him being available, I think there's just a lot of speculation that the Sixers, they fired their coach, they're restructuring their front office, they've underachieved, and maybe it's time that they do things different. I don't think there's specifically trade rumors. I think it's just the assumption that maybe this is the year that they shake things up. KJM, though, you weren't the only one concocting a Joel Embiid trade. In fact, Kippy Lefty, at Kip underscore Lefty on Twitter, proposes the trade CJ and Nurk for Embiid. And to that, I can say just one simple thing. That trade without getting back another part from Philly reduces the Blazers' talent way too much. You just... you. You haven't answered the question is how do they how do they defend on the wings? You still haven't answered that question. And the upgrade from Nurk to Embiid is not enough to give away CJ on its own. I'm a little worried about the Matisse Thibel version of this trade, but I am very heavily Bishop Bullwinkle if you do this trade and don't include another part from Philly. Look at that. We got through a whole whole segment about trades. And only one of you got hit with that sweet, sweet Bishop Bullwinkle drop. Let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. This time we're going to be talking free agency. A lot of y'all had questions about free agents, who who, and what the Blazers might try to sign in the offseason. But before we get there, I want to tell all y'all about rockauto.com. You know rockauto.com. They're the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for all of your auto and body part needs from hundreds of manufacturers. They'll be right there on their easy-to-use, easy-to-navigate catalog where you can quickly see all the parts available for your, for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and the prices you, pre- you prefer. They got everything there. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. rockauto.com's got it all. And they've got it all for reliably low prices that are the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why pay up to twice as much for the same parts? Don't do that. Instead, go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. 
All right. Let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday with more of your questions. This next one comes from Tam Tarius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter who asks, if the Blazers start Trevor Reza and Carmelo Anthony as forwards, they already got a roster capable of home court advantage and maybe making some noise in the playoffs with Rodney Hood back. With a trade exception, a first-round pick, young assets, and a mid-level exception, why couldn't they challenge next year? Well, I think the biggest reason is because the two gentlemen you mentioned as their starting power forwards who are going to lock it down are 35 and 36 years old. The other person you mentioned is coming off an Achilles injury. And beyond that, you're looking at shaky depth up front. And... not totally reliable depth beyond Gary Trent Jr. in the backcourt. The Blazers will be probably better next season than they were this season. They were mostly bad this year, if you recall. But the idea that they are, I do not co-sign the idea that they are a fully healthy roster away from being championship contenders. I think they're fully healthy roster away from being a pretty competitive team in the West, a type of team that could finish middle of the pack and give other middle of the pack teams hell. But the idea that they're sort of just a healthy roster away from being championship level is, is incorrect to me. I simply do not agree. Next question comes from Christian from Gmail who asks, does Dame's superstar status and Melo's appreciation of the organization make Portland more of a free agent destination? Are there any low-key stars, star players the Blazers could afford to sign during free agency to make them true contenders, particularly at the power forward position? I don't think low-key stars. I'm going to say low-key stars, no. But the Blazers aren't really shopping for low-key stars, right? They're shopping for really useful role players, the type of glue and role player guys that can push them over the top. They don't, like, they need a star. Like, they what they need is they need CJ McCollum to be a different and better player than he is. They need Anthony Simons to take a massive step forward. They need uh, Yusuf Nurkic to blossom into one of the three best centers in the NBA every single night for 80 games and then be healthy for 100 games and, and push them deep into the playoffs. But free agency, they're not going to sign a star. That's not how this works. I do think Carmelo Anthony, if he does end up choosing to stay in Portland, which he wants to do, does send a really, really useful message to the rest of the league. This is a team that treats star players well and they, and and fits you in and accommodates you. He sends the right message. Melo choosing to stay in Portland over returning to New York or signing with one of the LA teams is shouldn't be scoffed at. But I don't think it is totally turns the tides. The man is 36 years old and was out of the league for 10 months. This is a unique situation. That said, a couple reasonable power forward targets that could that I think the Blazers should at least consider. Both guys from Denver. I like Jeremy Grant more than Paul Millsap. I think Grant is a more versatile defender. He's obviously way younger. Um, I think he could really help as an as a long athlete who could play mostly the four, but can guard enough positions that you can hide him at the three if you have the right type of parts on the court. Uh, he's he was a better catch-and-shoot shooter in OKC than he was in Denver. Hard to say what exactly that means, but I think Grant is a Jeremy Grant for, uh, of the Nuggets is a useful target. The, his teammate, Paul Millsap, 35 years old, 15 seasons in the league, all of the caveats that come with that. Adding another 35-year-old to the roster is probably not your best plan, but I think Millsap is savvy enough to help and um I liked this more before it seemed like Melo was coming back. I thought Millsap might just be like a better fit 
upgrade than Melo just because of his skill set. But if Melo comes back, that changes things a little bit. Other players I would consider at sort of that size and shape, Derek Favors, I say this as a Carolina fan, John Henson. He's a center, but a, but a useful one who is sneaky effective. I wouldn't rule out the Blazers trying to go chase Mo Harkless again. I don't think that's very likely, but just as a name, I think he would help. Drake Jay Crowder is a name that would help. Jamichael Green is, an, is someone who could conceivably help them. Uh, none of these are massive upgrades. Ronde Hollis-Jefferson is, is a wing that could, can, like a 3-4-5 that can conceivably help them. None of these are sexy picks, but they're all sort of mid-level role players that could upgrade this roster. All right, next question comes from Justin Oslin, at Justin Oslin 7 on Twitter, who says, Jeremy Grant is a player option. It sounds like he's going to opt out. What are the chances of signing him or a sign-and-trade? Both incredibly low. I'm going to put a sign-and-trade at point. 001%. I cannot figure out a scenario in which he would sign for less money in Portland than the Denver Nuggets are are allowed to trade are allowed to sign him for under the CBA and then the Nuggets would facilitate a sign and trade to make that happen. I just that seems absolutely strange. The most recent sign and trades in the NBA have all been max contract guys, and it's a way to get something when you know a max contract guy is leaving. Um, Kemba Walker and Terry Rozier, Kevin Durant and D'Angelo Russell. I, we, I just maybe I'm missing one, but I can't recall a recent sign and trade for a um, for sort of a mid range type of guy. And what are the chances they sign him overall? Well, pretty slim. Like it, it's pretty slim. They sign any player overall like just like even like if it was very likely the chances would only be like eight or ten percent so i'll put a little bit lower i'd say five percent chance four percent chance they sign jeremy grant um the nuggets can pay him more and he helps them a lot justin also asks do you think it would be wise to sell high on trent right now for the white for the right offer if so who's a possible target i am not going to give you the who's a possible target for gary trent jr because here's why I do not think Gary Trent Jr. by himself, even when attached to a couple draft picks, brings you back the sort of game-changing talent you might be envisioning. Gary Trent Jr., really useful role player. I think seen as a long-term valuable piece, but what you're what you would be changing him for is another really useful role player. Is that really the move here? And what team would be willing to give up a star at, for Gary Trent Jr. and a couple draft picks? Doesn't seem like he moves the needle. Do I think it's time to sell high on him? I think it's time to gauge what the interest is when you have Gary Trent as a sweetener to your other parts that are tradable. That's Yusuf Nurkic, that's uh, CJ McCollum, that's coupled with Anthony Simons and uh, Zach Collins. You figure out how Gary, how much Gary Trent Jr. moves the needle as an excess part, not by trading him on his own. Next question comes from Spencer Gordon at Spencer's Dead One on Twitter who asks, which of the Blazers free agents this year do you see us re-signing? And should we? My guess is Rodney Hood and Mario Zonia opt in, so besides them. Sounds like Carmelo Anthony wants to come back, and if he wants to come back, the optics of the Blazers not doing that seems seems like a mistake for me, considering the history of small markets and the history of this franchise. I don't think you do that. So, so let's assume they bring Melo back, which means you let Hassan Whiteside go, and you also let Wenyan Gabriel go. And that's pretty much your roster. That's why I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure this is a this is a big movement off season for the Blazers. I think they're kind of, um, for worse or for worse, locked into the group they have. 
Daniel Joseph Graves at Inkelso on Twitter asks, what's Whiteside's future as a Blazer? I just answered that in the next one. I think you saw his season with the team. I think that was his Blazers career. I think it just wrapped up. He'll have an interesting market because I don't think a lot of teams need centers um, necessarily and, and, and big money centers specifically. I could see a center who pads the stat sheet and doesn't necessarily contribute to winning and doesn't play particularly good defense despite blocking a lot of shots sign for a bunch of money this offseason, but that person's going to be Andre Drummond. I don't exactly know what Hassan Whiteside's market is going to be, but I can't imagine that the Blazers are one of his suitors. I um, I think I think we've seen the last of him in a jersey. Next question comes from Hassan Whiteside's burner account, fittingly enough, at Justin P. 1111 on Twitter, who says, With a 36-year-old Carmelo, a 36-year-old Trevor Rees, a 30-year-old Damian Lord, an injury-prone Zach Collins, an expiring Zeal and Whiteside, how do you see the next 6 to 12 months coming together for the Blazers? Holy cow, I don't understand how all those are connected. Carmelo comes back, Ariza comes back, Damian Lillard is still, the at worst, the second best point guard in the NBA, Zach Collins has surgery and comes back and plays a major role, Hassan Whiteside's gone, and the Blazers have, you know, 13 players basically locked into next season and not a lot of sexy trade parts. I think the team looks largely the same minus Hassan Whiteside. Next question comes from Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter who says, What realistic free agent acquisition would help this team the most next season? We've had some success throwing money at restricted free agents in the past. Assuming the team doesn't re-sign Whiteside, we have some of that money. Who do you like? So I, I, I ripped off a bunch of names earlier in this segment, and I don't think that there are names that are necessarily better than them. But if I had to pick my favorites among those names that I mentioned... um. I like Jermichael Green because he's a stretchy four who can also play the five. Uh, I like the I like Jay Crowder in theory. He adds toughness and at least some defense, de- interested defense on the wing. Um, like I said, I like Maurice Harkless, but I don't think he's coming back. And I and I like Jeremy Grant. I think those are those are all reasonable names that you could see this team pursuing. I uh, though. Like I said, none of those are particularly sexy, um, but I think that's sort of the level of free agent they could conceivably get. And if you want me to name a restricted free agent, I'll say Dario Saric. Now, I don't know if my man Dario um, helps this team's bad defense get any better, but he's a restricted free agent and I named him. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday, and we're still appreciating this new music from Dre Slaps. Forgot to shout him out at the top of the show and the start of the second segment, but we're hitting you here in the third. Dre, appreciate you. Thanks for the music. Y'all can check out his stuff at DreSlaps.com or on Instagram at WowSlaps. Okay, our next question comes from Michael R. Gunter at BeLikeSup on Twitter who says, Thoughts on the direction of the team? I believe we'll see all or combos of Ariza slash the contract being utilized slash white side sign and trade with one of our young guys, one pick and one other player, Mario, being dealt. Holy cow, that is specific. I'm going to say that that does not happen. And then... Michael R. Gunther goes on to say, 
Two or more offers for Carmelo, including us, yet conceding to the East. I think Carmelo Anthony wants to come back over returning to an East Coast team. Like if I had to, if I had had to guess ten days ago, I maybe would have said Carmelo Anthony more likely to sign with the Knicks than the Blazers. But he was pretty emphatic that he wants to re-sign with the Blazers. So I'm going to say that that doesn't happen. Um, I really like how specific. That's some sort of combo of Trevor Ariza, Hassan Whiteside sign and trade, young players, trade exception, Mario being dealt. I, I like how specific that is. I like how these are all realistic options. Um, I don't know if all your fellow listeners appreciate how realistic these options are. I just don't see it happening. I don't, I don't, um, I think, I think that's too specific. I think the Whiteside sign and trade is just outlandish. I don't think, I don't think teams are jumping to put, to throw money at him. Um, I don't think, I don't think Mario Hazonia is someone the other, the teams want to trade for. Um, it's just, while all of these things are possible, I don't think they're very likely. Next question comes from Jack at loyal Blazers pod listener at Jack Parshall on Twitter, who says, as a non Blazer fan, curious if you could have a beat anywhere else in the NBA, where would you want to live slash work? Well, my wife's family lives here in Portland, uh, so I don't want to leave. I want to live here. Um, but if I have to, in this theoretical scenario, I'd probably say Los Angeles, uh, either of the New York teams. You, you see, I want to just move to big major American cities. Um, I, I guess in theory, the Charlotte Hornets, because I'd get to move closer to my parents in North Carolina. That'd be nice. Um, although they live like three plus hours away from Charlotte, so that's not particularly close. Um, other American basketball cities that I enjoy <laughs> include, but are not limited to, New Orleans. I think it's one of America's great cities. And in theory, Chicago, although I've never been to Chicago in the real dead of winter, so maybe I would hate it. But I love Chicago in the summertime, so give me an off-season in Chicago after the beat's done. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who says, who had the most successful season, Nazir, Zach, or Ant? This is really core competencies, picking between three guys who struggled and saying who had the best, who, who was the best of them. Matt, Matt, thanks for understanding the show. Um, it's Nazir Little. Zach Collins had a as frustrating season as a professional athlete can have. Got injured three games in the season, came back, got injured again, and is headed for another surgery. This was supposed to be his breakout year. Instead, his body broke down. That's sad. I feel bad for Zach. That is a real bummer. Amphrody Simons was the chicken that the Blazers count, counted before he hatched. Um, he's probably going to be a pretty good NBA player, but they pushed him out and he had one of the statistically worst seasons for any shooting guard in the NBA. And that leaves us with Nazir Little, a guy who wasn't supposed to play, played a little bit and looked pretty good and then got hurt in the bubble. So we didn't see him again. So we weren't reminded of maybe his struggles and perhaps not seeing him makes me feel like he had a better season. Is that, does that logic hold up? Hard to say, but I think Nazir Little showing that he is physically able to play on the NBA level makes him like grading on a curve. He had a better year than the other guys who expectations were too high and thus they the they are poisoned by the curve. Next question comes from Dustin Beck at dbeck426 on Twitter who says, instead of a trade, is now the right time to make CJ the sixth man? Start Dame, Gary Trent Jr., Ariza, Mello, and Nurk. Second unit of CJ, 
Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, Hassan Whiteside, with with Ant, Nazir Little, Mario as reserves, end games with Dame, CJ, Gary Trent Jr., Hood, or, or Hood, Ariza, and Nurk. So I don't understand what the point of this is. Uh, CJ McCollum already runs the second unit the way the rotation works now. He comes out at about the six-minute mark of the first quarter. He comes back late in the first quarter or start of the second quarter and, and runs the second unit. They've been doing it. They didn't do it the entire season, but they basically started doing it in January and stuck with it. Um, he had done it in the past. Uh, I don't think moving him specifically into that role like games the system in any way. I don't think... Um, I don't think adding Gary Trent Jr. in the starting lineup drastically changes things. Um, maybe he, you get a little bit of a defensive upgrade, but like stylistically and strategically, I don't think CJ as like official six man as a dude who comes off the bench versus de facto backup point guard who runs the second unit changes anything. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't think it makes no difference to me, Dustin. So disagree. I'm. I'm not even going to hit you with the hell nah though. I'm just going to hit you with the I. I don't get it. Next question comes from Nick from Gmail, who says, Is Gary Trent Jr. a better defender than CJ McCollum? What? Yes. Yes. What? Nick, what? What? CJ McCollum is like a bad defender, and Gary Trent Jr. is a good one. It's I, Is this a debate? Are people debating this? Are you debating this? Nick, stop debating this. Nick, you had another question. Let's just move on. Out of Mario Hazonia, Wendy Gabriel, and Jalen Horde, is Jalen Horde the most playable? He seems to at least understand his limitations and displayed a capacity to grab boards without consistently fouling. Should the Blazers sign him? Yeah, I do think that Jalen Horde does the least the least wrong when he plays. Um, I don't think he's super impactful. I kind of I, Jalen Horde to me kind of looks like a dude who could help in the NBA. Um, but I, I kind of think Wendy Gabriel's better than him, even with all his mistakes and his chaos. Hazonia is just, he's just, I just, I don't know what to do with him. I mean, I do. I, let him go play in Europe where he could be a star. That's that's the solution here. Horde is the guy who, who makes the least mistakes, um, but I don't think he's the best of those guys by any means. So should they re-sign him? Like I've said earlier in this episode, it seems like the Blazers are locked into like 12 12 players, maybe 13 players, but at least 12 guys they're pretty much locked into for next season. So if you only have two or three spots remaining, depending on if they go 14 or the full 15 for next year, I think I'd rather them take a swing at a guy who can definitely contribute like a veteran who could for sure help. Not even for sure help, but at least someone with like a proven track record of helping in the NBA who might be able to contribute over Jalen Horde like a developmental piece. Um, Horde, like I said, I, I kind of think he's an NBA player. I just, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure that that for this specific roster and where they are at in their sort of competition stage, if Horde is the answer, he's not the answer for me specifically. Next question comes from Jonathan from Gmail, who says, given the obvious holes the Blazers have personnel wise, what positions do you think the Blazers draft for? Do they go for a small forward who is a defensive specialist? Do they go for a small forward who can space the floor and give Damon CJ more room to work on the offensive end, or do they get a big who can back up Zach and Nurk and potentially blossom into a starter when one of them gets hurt? They obviously need a long-term solution at three, but they don't really have a power forward for sure squared away either, in my opinion. Which one, three or four, is easier to trade for? Um, in general, I'm going to say power forwards are easier to trade for because three, like wings, guys who are like big wings... Um, who aren't necess- who are like bigger than small, bigger than shooting guard type wings. That's the 
that's the thinnest position in the league. Um, there's more dudes who are fours who can play fives. The league kind of did this to themselves by going smaller. People who maybe could have played small forward in the past have been pushed up to power forward. And so then like the, the league sort of stylistically naturally killed the idea of wings. And they're just, it's just a really, really thin position. So um, in theory, like three is, is, is the harder position to acquire than four. But to answer your question for the, um, for the draft stuff, I haven't paid attention to the draft. I only watch one college basketball team and then I watch the NCAA tournament. There was no NCAA tournament this year. I think a lot of people in my position try to fake the funk like they're like super plugged into the draft and they watched all this tape. People love to say the word tape. You watch the film, you watch the tape. Get the fuck out of here, man. I'm not doing that and I'm not going to lie to you. I'll bring on a draft expert when it's time to talk about drafts. Here's what the Blazers should do. They should draft the best player on the board. They shouldn't draft for fit. They should draft for absolutely the best talent on the board and figure it out from there. The idea that they're going to be choosing between a defensive specialist small forward and a uh, sharpshooting small forward seems like uh, wishful thinking. The idea that they're going to be able to draft a big man who can turn into a starter seems like wishful thinking at 16. But if any of those parts are on the board, hell yeah, go ahead and draft them. Next question comes from CJ at friggin' winning on Twitter who says, When Dame isn't shooting well, he becomes a liability due to his poor defense. Are there any NBA superstars defensively worse than Dame? Yes, absolutely. Trey Young is maybe the worst defensive player in the NBA, and he was an all-star this season. Carl Anthony Towns is probably on, like, on the scale a better defensive player than Damian Lillard, but considering what he's asked to do and how bad he is at it and how little he seems to care, I'd say Carl Anthony Towns is a worse defender. I would say Kyrie Irving is a worse defensive player than Damian Lillard, and I would say Devin Booker is sometimes, he's he's improved on this end, so maybe I'm not, maybe not true anymore, but Devin Booker is arguably a worse defender than Damian Lillard. And I'll say this, I know it gets credit because he's a good athlete and he's like big and strong, but there are a lot of nights when Russell Westbrook is a shitty defensive player and way worse than Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard's defensive issues are maybe lack of instincts and lack of length, but it's not lack of want to. I think he's actually improved a lot as a one-on-one defender. He's not a great team defender or help defender, but if you're right in front of Dame, he is going to give you the business and want to compete. I think that um, he's made real, real strides as a one-on-one, like on-ball defensive player over the last four seasons. Next question comes from James from Gmail, who says, based on only their NBA careers, so not counting international or college play, and assuming their careers ended today, you could choose one of the following options for who gets into the Hall of Fame. Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, neither. I choose Dame over AD. He's rookie of the year. He's the third best blazer of all time. He's the best blazer of all time. And at worst, he's the second best blazer of all time, James. Get with it. James goes on and says he's won many more playoff series, including two memorable series last second winners. I don't think the moments get you in the Hall of Fame, but I know what you're saying. And AD has mostly been promised with little success. I think Dame has done enough to get in. What say you? Well, we better vote on this Hall of Fame stuff soon because I think Anthony Davis might be playing in the NBA Finals or at least for pretty far along there in that in the old NBA playoffs. Um, yeah, I think right now you pick Dame just based on solely their NBA careers. He's accomplished more. Um, he is, you know, a franchise pillar, like you said, rookie of the year and all NBA type. Um, yeah, I think he, his, his resume is maybe a little better than Anthony Davis. Uh, that's not how the hall of fame works though. So I think under your parameters, you have created a system where you can say Damian Lillard is more hall of fame worthy, but this seems arbitrary for the sake of being arbitrary. And you know what? I love it. I love 
arbitrary for the sake of arbitrary is basically the whole point of Mailbag Monday. We do this each week and I love it. Appreciate all of you who contribute. That's those of you who contribute by submitting questions. Those of you who contribute by listening. Those of you who contribute by sharing the show. Help me grow this podcast. Let's grow the Locked on Blazers community. Tell a friend to, to check us out. Tell them they can find this podcast wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. We went a little long this week, so let's just get all of our plugs in. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, hit me up at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or the email address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. The music you're hearing right now comes from your boy Dre Slaps. Follow him on Instagram at WowSlaps or check out all his music at DreSlaps.com. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.